In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and unto the ages of all ages, Amen. Grace that's worth it. I want to start off before we get too deep into stuff and um, before um, we get too intense. I just want us to ask you a question. What would you do with a check worth $55,000 US? Think about that for just a couple of seconds. On your way out of here, everybody gets handed a check. $55,000 American for us, the, the poor cousin up north here, right? What would you do with that? What would be the first thing you would do with that? Mary and I keep, in talk, keep talking about how, you know, um, we should really build an extension onto our house or maybe, maybe finish the basement and use it as a, for some extra income or, or, or uh, uh, I don't know, uh, take a trip somewhere or, or uh, I mean, you could buy a very nice car, cash with that. could be a down payment. This could, this could almost be a down payment on, on, on a brand new property. Um, you know, $55,000. That's a lot of money, right? We've been, we've been talking about delighting ourselves in the Lord. So, and we've been asking the question, is God really worth delighting in? Yes or not? And very early on, I made the point that the, probably the most attractive feature of Christ, of his character, is his grace. The fact that he is quick, quick to give us something for nothing. And it's so hard for us to get our head wrapped around it because everybody says you never get something for nothing. What goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. And this is what we're used to hearing over and over again, karma and this and that. And so it's hard for us to get our head outside the box that someone, there is someone out there in the universe who might possibly want to give me something for nothing. And that person is probably very quickly going to work their way up my favorite person in the universe, you know, list because they, 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 they want to give me something for nothing, you know? They don't only want to give me something for nothing, he can give me something for nothing. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. If you deserve it, it's not grace anymore. St. Paul tries to explain, he's trying to explain this in the Epistle of Romans, and he says, look, if you've earned it, it's a wage. Like, in a moment, I'm going to talk about... Um, uh, you know, cleaners, right? Um, so you get, you, you know, you, you, you're, uh, you, you got some big stuff going on and you don't have time to, you know, to, to clean up the house. So you do some quick tidying and you, you look online, you, you get a cleaner to come and they come and they work, right? And then you pay them. That's not grace. That's a wage. They worked, they got paid, right? They did something and they got something for it. And we're going to talk a lot more about that. Grace, grace is when they don't show up. You call them, they don't answer. You call them, they don't answer. You call them repeatedly. Finally, they answer. And they say, look, you know, I was just, I was just, you know, just had things really turned out, you know, bad for me and so on. I'm really sorry to leave you in the lurch and uh, this and that. And you tell them, you know what? How much, how much would I have owed you, owed you would you have come and cleaned? 
and they say X, right? Whatever, $120. You say, okay, what's your email? Let me just send, I'll just send you the money anyways. You said you just fell on hard times and you wanted to do this job, but you didn't do it. So now you're like, you're, you're already further back than you thought and now you're $120 further than that. Let me just pay you. Let me just give it to you. See, they didn't work, but you paid them anyways. They didn't do, but they got something. That's what grace is. And that's what God is all about. And in the first night, we talked about how God doesn't do this like with an eyedropper. He does it with abundance. And then yesterday, we talked about how and all the prophecies and all this like, you know, wrath and damnation and I will cut off and I will... That this, is, that this is God's grace. God is under no obligation to render justice, but out of his mercy, out of his mercy, he puts an end to the injustice. And we finished by bringing it home and making it personal and saying that I have hope. I'm in this struggle of, of doing the things I don't want to do and not doing the things that I want to do and I'm driving myself nuts. But there's hope for me. There's hope for me in my habitual sins that I keep doing and doing and doing, the habits that I've fallen into and I can't get out of. There's hope for me because I want deliverance and he's going to come and he's going to deliver me from the, the, the power that lives in me that is oppressing that part of me which wants to be holy, which wants to follow him, right? And that's how I understand all of these prophecies that we're reading is that through the cross, Jesus has delivered me from me. And so I read all these prophecies and he says, I, you know, I'm going to come and I'm going to destroy and I'm going to kill and I'm going to burn and I'm going to. And I say, yeah, come, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come now, come faster. Because I want deliverance. See, I'm on his team. So he's going to be delivering me. He's going to be rescuing me. Now the flip side of the story from a spiritual perspective is he's delivering me from me. He's delivering my heart, which is made in his image and likeness, from my flesh, which is the brokenness the brokenness of my humanity. But enough about that. We're going we're gonna to transition into today by saying where sin abounded, grace abounds much more. If there's this much sin, God pours this much grace all over it. That's God. But what is this grace worth to you? That's what we're going to discuss today. What would you give in exchange for this grace, right? So I decided to ask my good friend, Miriam, Miriam Webster, about how do you define worth? And everything I looked up just saying worth is value, worth is value. So I remembered back in my, um, in my I, I did a master's in, in clinical epidemiology and uh, like uh, clinical studies and, and, and all of that, right? And part of that is economic evaluation. So how do you, how do you know, how, do you, how, do you, how can you put a price tag 
on certain medical interventions. So I was in medicine, but economic evaluation can, of course, um, involve anything. And one of the ways is valuation, is comparing something with something else. So when we, um, uh, when we uh, bought a house and it needed a lot of work, we didn't have enough money to do all the work. So we made an A list and a B list and a C list, right? And then we looked up how much things cost. And then, and then I, I was, you know, where Mary and I are going through this process and I would say, I would ask her like, something cost like $7,000. At that time, my Honda Accord was worth $7,000. Now my Honda Accord is in a, is in, in, in a, is, is a recycling place. But, you know, uh, God rest her soul. But, but at, the, at the time, you know, Kijiji said she was worth $7,000. So if something, you know, if some Renault would cost $7,000, I'd say, well, suppose we didn't have the money. Would you sell the Accord to do that? No. Okay, so then it's not worth 7000 to you, right? But that's how much. So that's kind of what, what, what the dictionary says, that, that value is the fair return or equivalent in goods, services, or money for something exchanged. So it, it, it all really boils down to what do you believe is fair? The first real estate agent I ever worked with in Vancouver taught me a lesson I'll never forget, that I always want to pay a fair price. I don't know if she was, you know, um, you know, bamboozling me into paying, you know, a little bit more so she get more commission or not, but I thought it made a lot of sense and I decided to keep this as something to carry on with me for the rest of my life, right? See, if you, if you underpay, then you feel like you swindled this person out of something. Sure, you feel good, like you got, it, you got yourself a good deal. Yeah, if it's, like, if it's like a percent or two or something, maybe even five, you know? But suppose you get something for half of what it's worth, right? I don't know. If, 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 I, if I, and we're talking like real estate, you know, so if, if I got something for 100,000 or 200,000 less than what its market value, what I believe its value is, I'm not going to feel good because that person's not going to, you know, uh, take that money and uh, they're going to do something probably that is very like, like a landmark thing in their life with it, you know, and I've just set them back. So I have to pay a fair price. If you overpay, obviously you feel like terrible as well, right? So I want to aim for what I believe to be fair. So when I bargain, I love bargaining. When I bargain, I really try to reach a point where both parties agree on something that is fair. But see, we don't all feel the same way about things. And we're going to talk a lot about that, right? And it's this exchange. It's an exchange of goods, of services, of based on value, right? Again, going back to the real estate, you know, just it's just real estate is such a hot thing in Toronto. You know, it's easy to talk about, right? So house prices are determined by the comparables, right? So you look at an, in a neighborhood what a similar house sold for recently. That's what it's worth. Now, if 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 a house sells tonight for fifty thousand more. Than, than, the, than the comparables. B tomorrow morning, when it updates on the MLS system, the value of a house in that area has now become $50,000 more, right? And that's how, I, I don't know anything about the stock market, but my understanding is that's how, that's how trading works. What would somebody be willing to pay for this? 
And that's how, that's how the price tag is determined. Right, and hence the you know hence the hence the, the the growing the growing prices. Right, so back to back to the cleaner. Right, if if I'm just you know not very I'm lazy. I was trying to find a, a nice way of saying it, but if I'm just lazy, quite frankly, and I have the time, but I also have the money, and I could hire somebody to come clean my place, and I do, and they you know, uh, can't come anymore or whatever, and I have to find somebody else. I may, I may go through the trouble of trying to find somebody else. I may not. I may figure, you know, my whole place is 600 square feet. I'm just clean it myself. I might, I might figure out a whole bunch of things, right? Now, suppose you're having a dinner party tonight and you're busy out of your brain and you're just, you're just, you, you, you just met a deadline and you just this and you just that and you don't have a second to spare and your place is like despicable, right? Now, how much is that cleaner worth now? Oh my goodness, the circumstances have changed. So the value that we associate with something is actually very personal. There may be some market you know, price that is acceptable you know, to what would be the general market, but you're not the general market. You're, you know, you're John Doe. You have a name, you have a personality, you have likes and dislikes, you have values. And based upon your values, you value things and people and relationships and so on. Another example, this is my Bible. I have had this Bible since 1997. Eight, seven, eight. Anyways, a long time, right? I've been on six, seven mission trips with this Bible. I've stood, you know, in marketplaces with Bible in hand, finger raised, you know, people crying, people repenting. I've been there and back. I have cried on many of the pages in this Bible. Guess how many times I've lost this Bible? Twice. I remember them. It was like losing my firstborn child. The other day I was in McDonald's with Anna. Monday, I was in McDonald's with Anna. We ordered, Anna's my eldest, we ordered and uh, whatever, and she, she was standing right beside me and I turned to like get our order and I turned around and I'm looking and I, I couldn't see her for about, for about half a second, you know, until I saw her pink hooded bobbly head you know and then I, I for that half a second right i i was gonna i was gonna die right but my bible's not my 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 first my firstborn but i've been through so much with it i've been through so much i've had like eight bibles or something but i've been so much with through so much with this one so much so that my my wife got it re got got a new leather cover for it made for it because it was falling it was falling apart things have personal worth so let's get a little bit closer to the point how do you value a person how do you measure a person this is how you measure you know like like somebody for their clothing you know but how do you measure a person their net worth their the value of their home or their car uh, you know, there's the social numbers, social media followers. I remember some conference I went to, um, some prayer breakfast that I went to. Um, 
uh, and uh, the, the, the speaker was like this very humble, lovely uh, uh, woman, uh, and uh, her talk was was very nice. Um, um, and then, as I was like, you know, I was like, kind of looked her up on, and she had something like two and a half million Twitter followers. I was like, whoa, I gotta meet this lady, right? So at first I was like, she's a nice woman and she gave a nice talk and so on. And then all of a sudden, this woman has a reach of two and a half million people. All of a sudden she grew that much in my... Does that make her worth... How does that work? How do we value... How do we value people? Their political standing, their hierarchical position, you know, as a bishop or pope or, you know, um, the milestones of childhood development, Right? Oh, well, my son's three, three months and he does this. My daughter is, you know, three and a half months and she does that and so on. And, you know, hmm. percentile exam scores, you know, like I'm in the top this percent. I'm in the top that percent. Well, that person, I'm going to study with them. I don't know that, you know. How do we value, how do we value Jesus? And it may sound like a ridiculous question. But as I, was, as I was just praying through the readings today, and I, I must have read the readings today like four times, trying to, God, what are you trying to tell us? And this kept popping out at me, and I kept thinking, you can't value God. You can't put a value on God. But that's actually, that's actually what today is all about. And Mona did a really good job of, uh, of, of, of leading us in that, in that direction. Today is a day of extremes. The two opposite ends of the spectrum. Maybe God has given us this spectrum so I can see where do I fall on this spectrum. Now I know where something near zero is. You know, limit as X goes to infinity is zero. Limit as X goes to infinity is infinity. You know, the spectrum. Where do I fall in there? Judas agrees to betray Jesus for 30 silver coins. The woman with the alabaster flask, roughly $55,000 US. We'll talk a little bit more about it. So Judas... Well, how much were those silver coins really worth? Some people say five weeks salary. Some people say $20 a coin, about $600. Okay, gives you an idea, you know. What does scripture say? Scripture says that, scripture says this, and I think we just need to pause. This is like a, an aside, a, a sub point, but I think it's incredibly important because I'm really worried. I'm really worried that I value Jesus, other things in my life, people in my life, relationships, experiences, that I value things the way Judas did here, which is not bad, just not smart, right? And he said to them, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? So Judas says, okay, give me your best offer. They count out 30 pieces of silver and give them to him. And he walks away. So Judas didn't actually say Jesus is worth 30 pieces of silver. 
Judas agreed that Jesus is worth 30 pieces of silver. You're going to say Father John, same, same shtick, same point. If he, if, he had, if he didn't agree, he would have, should have said something. He should have, he, but his, his silent action of taking the coins and running is assent. He, he said, I'm in. He signed on the dotted line. He did. He did very clearly. There's no two ways around that. But the 30 pieces of silver wasn't his idea. The point, the reason I'm stopping here for a moment is because I fear that all day long, somebody else is telling me what things are worth. And I'm just going with the flow. I'm just going with the flow. Somebody told me, uh, somebody told me uh, last night, I wanted to come to church, but it was raining really hard. Okay. So, if it's raining really hard, I shouldn't go to church. I don't know. Like, we have to pause and, and evaluate these things. Like, is that right? Is that wrong? Is that... I I'm not here to judge anybody at all. I have enough I have enough introspection that I need to do. But I need to ask myself. I need to ask myself, do I agree with the things that I hear or not? See, Judas just took it and ran. Let's not do the same. Let's pause tonight and ask ourselves, what does scripture say? Scripture says that in the, in, the, in the law, you know, like when, when the Israelites, when, they, when, when, when the Israelites, which is the family of Israel, the family of Jacob, went down to Egypt, they were 70 some people. When they left, they were a couple of million. So they're a couple of million people now and they're like wandering around in the desert and they have no rules to live by. So it quickly degenerated into anytime somebody did anything that somebody else didn't like, they would run and go, go tattletale to Moses. Moses, you know, you know, would judge between them and he was going nuts. So God gave him a law. Some of the law is civil law. Part of that civil law is what to do if somebody's ox kills another person, kills a slave. So if an ox gores a male or female slave, he shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. So in the law, those 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave. I don't know, but maybe if Judas stopped to think about that for a minute, maybe he would have said, 30 seems a little low, you know? Like, what do you think? I'm not suggesting, <laughs> I'm not suggesting that any price would have made it okay. But let's stop. Let's stop tonight and ask ourselves, what do I think Jesus is worth? What do I feel Jesus is worth? And if I look back at my day, my week, my month, my year, what do my actions say Jesus is worth to me? 30 pieces of silver has become a modern day expression that is used to, to accuse politicians or artists of selling out on their ideals and their principles. 30 pieces of silver has become 
a modern day expression to call someone a sellout. I don't want to be a sellout. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that by the end of tonight, Lord, by the end of this week, by the time you're on the cross, Lord, I'll be done with selling out and I'll be ready to be sold out for you. So let's look at the woman with the alabaster jar. Um, Mona told us very accurately that um, it was probably about a a year's worth of wages, 300 denarii, roughly about 55,000 US, a lot of money. How would someone of her and her and her where she's from, a woman, come across that kind of money? Women, women in Palestine or Israel at the time didn't really, they weren't business owners or, you know. So it would, was probably either an inheritance or um, something to do with her wedding, like the, the bride price that was paid and then her family gave it to her, something like that. It was probably something that was really precious. Unfortunately, one of my friends recently got burglar, you know, robbed, right? So um, they, made, they basically just made a big mess of the place and they stole a bunch of jewelry. Um, and her husband the, and I were making the point that, you know, everything is replaceable and it's kind of like a fuss and she the moment I said replaceable she started to cry because she had two heirlooms that had been handed down from one person to another for about eight generations that had made it to her that were gone yeah their dollar worth is probably a couple thousand dollars or something pendants you know something you put on a chain but the value to her was, was much higher. It's unlikely that this was just money to the woman who poured this out. And then the flask itself or the jar or the alabaster container itself was itself worth a lot. And the only way to open it was to break the neck, like Mona was telling us. So there was another sacrifice. And then the washing, the, the, the wiping his feet with her hair, another sacrifice. What is Jesus worth to you and to me? We're going to kind of carry on with that, right? And are you ready to hand over your alabaster jar? Are you ready to take it and hand it over to Christ? Well, the big question, Father John, is what's in the jar, right? What is of such value in your life that would make you pause, hesitate, think, before coming closer to Christ? It may be something as simple as sleeping in. It could be something a little bit, you know, deeper, like a a sin you're not ready to walk away from. 
this conference I we were at um, a couple of weekends ago. I asked a question and I polled the audience with an uh, anonymous response system. You know, why do we not confess more frequently? Tied for number one was. If I were to confess, I would have to commit to changing my life, and I'm not ready to let go of this yet. I'm not re- ready to let go of my jar. Maybe simple things like money or time, or maybe more complex things like relationships. It may be habitual things like I know if I committed not to using, not I know if I committed to not using my phone in my bedroom, I would pray before I go to bed. But I don't want to do that. Like I know if I just made made it a rule that I charge my phone in the hallway outside or I charge my phone on the kitchen table or I charge... But I I don't bring my phone into my room, which is also where I pray, then I would pray. Because like, I'd be in my room and I'm not quite sleepy yet and so on. And, you know, my bay is sitting right there. My icon of Christ is right in front of me. And so, well, the, nat- the, the, the natural normal thing to do, if I'm not distracted, would be to pray. But now I have this amazing, you know, distraction device at, at my fingertips. So maybe I'll do that. See, it doesn't have to be $55,000 worth. What, what is it that I, I hesitate? You know what's so amazing about St. Mary that we spend all of like the month before Christmas praising St. Mary for was that she didn't hesitate. The angel told her, you're going to have a child. And she said, okay. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. She didn't, she didn't, you know, Jesus is looking for people who are willing to say yes. Because what we did in the garden is say no. So now Jesus is looking for people who say yes. So if you feel convicted in your heart after all this, you know, me moaning on and on about charging your phone in the hallway and you think that that's what God is telling you to do and the little nudge in your heart is saying that just say yes just but if if it's a tug of war then then I'm still I'm still evaluating it in my head like I'm still thinking to myself is is this worth it so I'm going through the valuation process right Okay, Father John, good. All this is good. How can I take that leap? How can I take that leap to be willing to say yes? To be willing to just jump in with both feet, like don't even look back, like sure, Jesus, whatever you want, the shirt on my back, no problem. You did this for me. I can do this for you. Like easy peasy, whatever you want, right? Name it. My firstborn and only son, like Abraham and Isaac, have at it. Whatever you want, whatever you want, God is yours. You know, when I was watching that video uh, that I showed last night about the the guy who was, went to go teach in China, 
I was, I was, I was with Mary. I wanted to say something, but I was, I was really worried what Mary's response would be. But then I said it. I said, should I show this video or should I show that video around the time there was the, the, the bus attack? That they, I think it was the bus attack or it was one of the church attacks where um, a, a little child was martyred. And they were interviewing the mom and they said to her, so what do you think was going through the mind of your child in her, in her last moments or his last moments? And the mother said, well, that's easy. I know exactly what was going on in, in his mind or her mind. Well, well what? What, was, what? What was he thinking? Well, we, we teach our children, she says to the reporter. We teach our children. We raise them for this moment. We tell them that if somebody comes to hurt you, because you love Jesus, it's okay. They're not bad people. They're just, they don't know what they're doing. So if they tell you, do you love Jesus? You shout as loud as you can. Yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I love Jesus. And then they're going to do something, but it's, you're only going to feel it for a minute or two. And then you're going to be with Jesus. So you have nothing to be afraid of. I was worried that Mary would kill me because <laughs> I'm not Abraham and Mary is like a hundred times more a spiritual giant than me, but I don't think she's Abraham either. Maybe she is. I don't know. God knows. Mary says to me, yeah, when we used to go to visit, when we used to go, go down every summer, that's what my mom would tell us on the airplane. Are you willing to spill your alabaster flask? How can I be willing? How can I take that leap? Here's a few things that could help us. One thing is gratitude. If I stop and pause and think of all the things God has done for me, or at least a handful of them, I'm sure all of a sudden how rich and how kind and how generous God has been to me is going to fill my eyes. And this valuation that I'm doing, you know, and asking myself, is it worth it? You know, my Honda Accords were $7,000, but is this, you know, and is this worth, is that, you know, what's, what's it worth? Will increase. Because like I was saying yesterday, the devil's spreading rumors all the time that, that Jesus is no good. But when I bring the facts, yeah, yeah, okay, you might say Jesus is no good, but hold on a second. He did this for me, and 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 he did this for me. All of a sudden, it doesn't seem like he's like, it does it seems like I'm getting the better end of the deal here, you know? Like I always say when we go to, to do our, our community lunches, our community dinners, I rarely leave those places without a spirit of repentance in my heart. I feel really convicted by the people whom we go to share a meal with. I always say, we offer them a meal, they offer me repentance unto eternal life. Who got the better end of the deal? 
What's interesting is that the ancient Greek word for gratitude or thanksgiving is charis. Charis. Which is also the same word for grace. Grace, gift, and thanksgiving are all actually the same word. Because they all have the same root and they all have the same destination. God gives me a gift and it's free, it's grace. I get a free gift from God. I realize how gifted I am. I thank Him. It's all the same story. We're going to touch upon that as we close. Confession. The, the other side of the coin. What have I done to Him? And he still continues to love me. One of my favorite verses in the Psalms is at the end of Psalm 40. It says, By this I know that my, the Lord is yet well pleased with me, that my enemies have not overcome me. Or like the word overcome there is, is too weak. It's like annihilated me, like exterminated me. Like basically the word means like wiped me off the face of the earth. Like the fact that like I haven't been wiped off the face of the earth by my enemies is due to God's protection. God is actively keeping me alive. Confession. And the last thing is adoration. Spending some time not thanking God. Thanking God is, is amazing. <laughs> Thanking God is, is praising Him in light of what He's done for me. Adoration is praising Him for who He is alone. To the exclusion of all else. Not in reference. The reference point is not me anymore. He, he in and of Himself. I'll be honest with you. When I try to spend some time adoring God, I can only spend a couple of minutes telling Him, You're great. You're awesome. You're great. You're awesome. You're great. Right? I run out of stuff. I'm not very creative. So I brought that to my spiritual father's attention, and he suggested that I pray the Sali of the day. So if you download the Coptic Reader app and you go to Midnight Praises, you'll find, um, you scroll right, swipe right, and then you can scroll down. And there is at the very top there the, the Sali like the Thursday Watos Sali, the Friday Watos Sali, the, you know, Monday Adam Sali, and so on. The Sali, the Sali just means praise, you know, um, is oftentimes almost exclusively about Christ, about Him and about His person. You may know the tune and you want to sing it and so on, have at it. Or you may simply just want to read it. But I find the words really inspire me to praise God simply for who He is. Now that we're in Holy Week, what I find to be so helpful for me is to try to end my day after everybody's gone to bed and everybody's tucked in and the bottles are ready for tomorrow and all the chores are done. And just for a couple of minutes before I go to bed, I go up and I say, Thine is the power, the glory, the blessing, the majesty, forever, amen, amen. The same way we do it 12 times here, I, do, I, I try to do that at home. Just me and Jesus. It's like a personal conversation now between me and him, between him and I.
Let's get this. St. Paul wants to encourage us. He wants to make it easy for us to, to say like he does, I have counted all things as rubbish for the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, I've counted them as garbage. We've spoken many times about how garbage is not only useless, it's harmful, right? Like I often think of that and I say, St. Paul's saying like, oh, I've realized that this is useless. No, garbage is not useless, it's harmful. If you forget a bag of garbage in your trash can, go on holiday for two weeks and come back, you're going to know just how harmless, how harmless it is or how harmful it is. You know, how many days it's going to take to air out your place and get rid of the stench. St. Paul is trying to make it so easy for us to just leap into, in, into God's arms, to just throw alabaster, flask, kit, and caboodle, everything in his, at his feet. And he says, says to us, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't ask us for anything before he himself gave everything. St. John says it very succinctly. We love him because he first loved us. I intentionally finished a little, a little shorter today because I want us to do this little exercise together. The, the deacons are going to hand out um, these little jars to you. This is your alabaster flask. I'm going to keep one and I'll give these to you. I'm going to um, ask you to hand those out and we'll just take a minute to pray. To pray and to ask God, Lord, Lord, on this Wednesday night, this eve of Thursday, of the last week of your life, Lord, What do you think I could come and pour out at your feet, Lord? What do you think is worth my whole livelihood? What do you think, Lord, is, is of deep emotional significance and value to me, personal value to me, is really valuable to me? What have I valued you at, Lord? Whatever price I'm not willing to pay, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the price point for me. Stretch us, Lord. Stretch us, Lord, to pour ourselves out more to you. We'll take a minute or two and let everybody um, write something down. And after you've written... After you've written something down to um, fold it and come put it in the prayer request box. Um, and uh, I'll know that when I see these on Great Friday and Resurrection Sunday, because I, I, I rarely am able to get through all the prayer requests on Great Friday, which is a good thing that there's so many prayers that have been offered to God. So I carry on praying them Bright Saturday and Resurrection Sunday. 
When I get to these jars, I'll pray that God would help us to let go of whatever's written here. Don't write your name, obviously. Just write what you, what you want to offer God.